Uh, I'm going to be talking about that today. So let's pray. Dear Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable unto you, my rock and my redeemer. Let your Holy Spirit speak to us and thank you for that word about receiving love and that you can be in the kingdom and in the church for a long time and it not sink in. And um, today we have the most loving message um, about what it is um, to struggle with sin. And um, I pray that uh, no one would ever feel ashamed again if uh, something sinful pops up in them, or even if they're struggling right now. Uh, because God's love says, I'm here for you, um, and I will walk you through this, and I won't reject you, even if it takes a while for you to sort things out. Amen. So, um, we're going to look at Romans seven fourteen to 25, and I'll just read it to you. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, warring, waging against the law of my mind and taking me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. Wretched man that I am who will rescue me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law. But in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. This is the end of that reading. Um, now Romans 7 is probably the most important chapter in all of the Bible that equips the human being who has become a Christian to follow Jesus over your lifespan and never give up. And for that reason, there's been great controversy about its meaning. And um, probably the most unfortunate reading of this scripture and interpretation came at the Reformation, which said this is what Paul is talking about before his conversion. But that is not accurate. Paul is talking about this after he's a Christian. It makes all the difference in the world. If he's only talking about this passage before his conversion, what he's saying is that since my conversion, this does not apply to me. This is what I used to be. But there's nothing in the text that lends itself to be interpreted that way, and I will show that to you today. The text is clearly saying I myself want to do good. In my inner being, I delight in God's law. I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law. Someone who is not converted cannot make those statements. Paul 
by the time he writes the book of Romans is at the end almost of his Christian service as an apostle. And um, so what he's saying in this passage in Rome is the center of the world. All roads lead to Rome. It's like New York City or Paris or, you know, um, any of the great big city centers, Johannesburg, um, Moscow. It's where all the, all the parts of those nations go there. Uh, Nairobi. Um, it's, it's, it's where everyone in the world gathers. And so, key here is that, is Paul talking about the person who's born again or the person who's not born again? Now, why would someone who's not born again listen to this to begin with? So, so why would the church insist, or some of the church leaders insist, this was Paul before his conversion? And there's only one answer. They're not dealing with their stuff. And they want to look good in front of everyone. And when they stand up there with this collar on, they want you to think that they are almost perfect. And when they talk about a sin issue in their life, it was 30 years ago when they converted. And I'll tell you one thing, they're not going to disclose anything that happened last week. And the history of the church shows that most Christian leaders are as sinful as the people in the pews. But the people in the pews don't want to believe their leaders are as sinful as them. Now, I'm not saying we have the license to act out in our sin. What I'm saying is that the guy up front has the same sin struggle you do. And if he has acted out, as a Christian leader, he will have limitations. He can't have sex with another person who's not his wife or, or husband. If that happens, he's out of the pulpit. That was always the rules. When that happens to Christian leaders, they just hide it and they pretend like it didn't happen, which is why you have all these scandals. The same ones who were saying that this is St. Paul talking about before conversion. So it's really important, friends, that we understand we are all human beings. We are all constructed in the same way by God's design made in his image. We all naturally have a self that is divided into a false and a true. Because naturally, that means in nature, we are fallen human beings. We, are, we have sin. Now part of the problem is this. The church wrongly taught people to say, I am a sinner rather than I have a sin nature. You cannot be sin. You can only be a human being made in the image of God and that doesn't include sin. You have sin like people have cancer. You don't say, I am cancer when you have cancer. Cancer is a wonderful metaphor for sin in the soul. You can live with cancer your whole life these days if you treat it properly. If you don't treat it, it'll grow and kill you. But the new medications Dial it down, and if you watch and you are attentive, you keep that cancer down. But it's still there. Exactly the same thing with sin. You are not sin. You are a human being, and then you become a Christian, and then you become a Christian human being, which makes you different from all the rest of the human beings, because as a Christian human being, you're part of the new creation, and as a regular human being, you're just part of the old creation. 
The new creation is the human being who says, I have a sin nature. And I need to deal with that my whole life. But if I deal with it, it will shrink and shrink and shrink. And it'll grow a bit because I didn't pay attention. And then it'll shrink when I deal with that and shrink. And then I'll get hurt and wounded and not talk to God for a while and not go to church. And it'll grow again. And then I'll come to my senses or I'll get some healing. And it'll shrink and shrink and shrink. And then one of my children will die, and I'll blame God, and I'll grieve for seven years. I won't go to church, or my marriage will fail, and it'll grow, and it'll grow, and it'll grow. Then I'm thinking, what am I doing suffering without God? I better be off suffering with God. You go back to church, and it shrinks, and it shrinks, and it shrinks. And that's how people deal with the sin nature over their lifespan. Now, I knew someone who said publicly on a regular basis, I don't sin consciously. And people were always saying to me, you know, when this person says this, does it, is this person saying that they don't sin? I said, well, I've never really heard them confess a sin. So yes, I think that is what they're saying. And I knew this person very well. And this person hadn't talked to a child for 20 years of their own. Made no efforts for reconciliation, even though the child did. This person had a history of cutting people out of their life if they had a disagreement with them and never talking to them again. Even though this person was a very famous person and did very well. But they did not sin. Every time there was anger, they had righteous anger. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I can deal with this. But I can't work with this. So I stopped that. So, we are all in the same boat. We're all human beings, we're Christian human beings, and we have a sin nature, and we deal with it over our lifespan. Sometimes successfully, sometimes not so successfully. And the way the Christian life looks is, and this is the, the story I was given, is that you convert, you read your Bible every day, and it's a nice slow incline up to heaven until finally you end up in glory. <laughs> but I wasn't living that. But everyone who was talking about spiritual formation and healing seemed to be implying that when I took care of my stuff at 30, I had nothing but a nice slow incline into health and glory and betterment. But I'm living this. I'm getting better, I'm getting better. Oops, something happened. I bottomed out, but then I'm getting better again. And guess what? You actually do kind of pick up where you left off, and then you go up. And then you scoop down a bit, then you go up, and then suddenly you plateau, and nothing happens for a very long time. And you wonder, what's going on? Nothing's happening. I'm not getting any better. I'm not getting any worse. I'm not excited, but I'm not depressed. I'm just bored. And then you stay there for a really long time, and then you dip a little bit, then you get better, and you start getting a little bit better again. So the life in the Lord is not this. It's more like this, 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 then finally this. So that's really what it looks like. And anyone who's not being vulnerable and confessional before their people, you just need to say, it's a good teacher, missing some things, not very vulnerable, and I doubt they're as perfect as they look. And that's what St. Paul is saying. He's giving us permission to be human beings, not to act out in sin, but he says, when you do the thing you hate to do, we know how to deal with it. And you will, at some time, do the thing you hate to do. And it doesn't have to be necessarily looking at porn on the internet, although it's a big problem these days. It can be you get into a conflict with someone and you don't want to take any responsibility, so you'll cut them off and never talk to them ever again, even if they are your blood child. That's a very sinful thing to do. So let's look at the passage because it gives us so much encouragement that within us is a self 
that is occupied by another presence like cancer that he calls sin. And what I want you to take away is this. You have this genuine self in you that delights in God's law. You have a genuine self that wants to do the good. You have a genuine self that is making an effort to do the good. And what's coming against that genuine self is an occupying presence called sin that has somehow infiltrated into your humanity like cancer and at times gets in the way of you doing what you want to do. But you still want to do the good. So even when you sin, the reason you feel bad about it is because you really did want to do the good and it didn't happen. And this is why the very next verse in this thought is, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, in your experience, what St. Paul is talking about here, which you are, there's no condemnation. And the minute you get that straight, you can start dealing with your stuff. And you will, over your lifespan. And if something goes wrong, and some perfect Christian takes off their glasses, does this to you, I'll pray for you. <laughs> Say thank you. And then turn the other cheek. Let your whole body follow that cheek. And just keep turning. And don't talk to them again. And don't ask them for prayer. Because then they're going to start telling, please pray for so and so. Oh, there's such a problem. I can't tell you what it is. But we need to pray. Not that I have ever experienced that, have I? <laughs> All right, so here we are. We know verse 14. Look at your Bible, please, because this will, that way you don't know this is the word of Mario. This is the word of the Lord coming forward. The law that St. Paul is talking about is simply like the Ten Commandments. The law lets you know what's sinful. You know why it has to let you know? Because everyone has a self-serving bias to say, my sin is not as bad as the other person's sin. And there's a reason I sinned, and therefore I'm not as guilty about the sin. And so there's a sort of a reason I sinned, and I only have to sort of ask for forgiveness but not take full moral responsibility. And the law says, okay, you know what, basically, did you or did you not do this? And the law simply tells you this is sin. Okay, did you or did you not kill that person? Are they alive or are they dead? Are they dead? Yes. Are you the one who caused their deadness? Yeah. You killed them. Now we have to decide whether you murdered them or killed them. Those are two different things in the Bible. Thou shalt not steal. Are you in possession of the car of your neighbor? It's a yes or no. Yes, I am. Okay, God forgives you. But please give back the car. But I'm forgiven. I know you are. That means you have to give back the car. I can't tell you how many people have stolen things and I said, okay, God forgives you. And you know that thousand dollars you took out of the ATM from your sister? You owe your sister a thousand dollars. So if she forgives you, that's great. It's still her money. Now if she wants to gift you a thousand dollars after she forgives you, that's up to her. But I would suggest you not do that because that's just going to give you a reason to steal it again and ask forgiveness later on and hope she forgives you so that you can keep the money you stole. So you have to give it back. You had an affair? You and so-and-so? And you both left your spouses? And now you're in a second marriage at City Hall and you want to come to church? God forgives you. But you've got to give your spouse back to their first husband or first wife. Yes, he'll forgive the adultery, but you can't keep your immoral lover. It doesn't work that way. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Full stop. Of course God forgives you. 
Now, if your spouse then says, you know what, I didn't like you anyway, I don't want you back. And if the other spouse says, you know what, I didn't like you anyway, I don't want you back. Well, now you have a whole different situation. Then it's possible. I have saw that happen once where two adulterers actually went back and both said, forget it. They wanted to get married in the church, actually, after they had adultery, and we said, no, I'm sorry. You go back and you ask forgiveness of your spouse. And they did. And the spouse says, I forgive you, but I don't want you back. They said, now what? I said, well, now you're free. Let's see what God has for you. But we're not marrying you until we know that God says you can get married. And the reason you can get married is not because you are in love and you deserve each other and you do, it's okay to abandon your first spouse for each other. See, that's where it hits the road, friends. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Ten Commandments. I didn't make it up. But if you're forgiven of the adultery, you still can't keep the spouse. That's really hard. Unless there are a bunch of other circumstances that line up. Now, we all know people where that's the situation, and it's very uncomfortable for you to hear this from me. But you know what the nice thing is? I'm getting on a plane and going home. <laughs> so John doesn't have to be the one who says, well, that is what Mario said. Yeah. And so, yeah, the law is good. The law was a fence, kept the world out, but the law also kept the people of God in. The law is good. But the law couldn't save. That's why you needed Jesus. But he didn't come to obliterate the law. Those Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, they're still there. Still can't steal. Still can't commit adultery. Still can't covet. Still can't dishonor your parents. Still can't use the name of the Lord your God in vain. They're all active. Now they're fulfilled. You know why? You have the ability to actually continue following Jesus and God and stay within the confines of the law, not because of a sacrificial system that's keeping you in line, but because of a Holy Spirit that's descended into you and is with you to move you forward. And the love of God is there to say, I can keep you going on the right track. So that's what it says. I do not understand what I do. Can you at least get there? I don't get it. I don't know why, with all my heart, I want to follow Jesus, and there's still impulses to sit in me. I fasted, I prayed, I'm on my belly. I get healing prayers, and there's still that ugly impulse in me. I don't understand this. Well, welcome to the human race. Welcome to St. Paul's life. For what I want to do, so what do you want to do? You want to do the good, friends. You want to follow the Lord. You want to follow the Ten Commandments. You want to be a good Christian. You want to love others. You want to make an honest living. You want to be faithful to your wife. You want to be a good mom and dad. That's what you want. I agree, the law is good. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good. Why? Why does the law help you when you, don't, when you do that thing you ought not to? Because the law is big, bigger than you or me, and all the self-serving excuses that we make for why we did this and that, the law says, did you or did you not do that? Is that other person's wife in your possession? Is there a car in your driveway? Did you lie? Okay, if you lied, the only way to take care of the lie is go to someone and say, I lied. This is what I said, and this is what the truth was, and please forgive me, I lied. You can't just say, please forgive me for being dishonest. That serves you too much, leaves you off the hook. You need to tell them what you lied about. It's not being legalistic, it's just being honest. And you won't feel full release until you've spoken the full truth. And that's why the law is so powerful, because it didn't come from Mario or John or your wife or your husband. It comes from God and his word. Now, if you think thou shalt not lie means that when you lie, you can say, oh, well, I didn't really say everything that I should have. I'm sorry. If you think that's what the commandment says, you're wrong. 
It doesn't say, thou shalt not speak with a muddy tongue so that people don't understand the full truth. It says, thou shalt not lie. You know when you lie. All children even know that. Do you know what all children of every culture say? That's not fair. You know why they say that? Every human being has a conscience, and they know that on one side of fairness is truth, that on the other side of fairness is lies, and then when something's not fair, somebody lied. You lie to a child, and they're going to know it. You don't tell them the truth. They might not say, you lied to me. Not out loud, but they'll hold it in your heart, and they'll, start to, they'll detach from you. You better be honest with kids especially, especially your own kids. I'm raising five of them. They're like, woo. They're amazing. I agree the law is good. As it is, it is no longer, here's the key, I myself. Look at this verse. Okay, there it is. It is no longer I myself. Verse 17. You know where else I myself appears? Verse 25. So then I myself. Very important construction there. I means the totality of who I am as a human being. It's the Latin, Greek, word, English word, ego, E-G-O, but it doesn't mean the ego like Freud, like he's so egocentric. It means the whole human being, everything. Eyes, nose, mouth, all your senses, your heart, your mind, your receding hairline, everything. It means absolutely everything about you. I, and then myself, means your individual, unique personality and personhood. So it's the totality of your human being and then that which makes you who you are in everything that is unique to you, which makes you undeniably Julie or Bob or John or Nancy, so that nobody else is Julie, Bob, or Nancy. That's the myself. So it's the I, myself. Okay. And St. Paul is saying this. I, myself. Who do it. It is no longer I, myself, who's doing this. You know what's doing it? It's not I myself. It's this occupying presence that occurred at the fall that descended into I myself and possessed you. It's called sin. We are possessed. Sometimes we're possessed by demons. I've been there, but I'm not anymore. But I am possessed by a sin nature because of the fall. It's natural to sin in a fallen condition. It is an occupying presence in I myself. It's like cancer in your body. That's exactly what it's like. And I have the treatment for it. It's called Jesus on the cross. And when I myself says, this is in my body, I'm going to take care of it. That's okay. I have five kids. It's fine. And so... When I acknowledge I myself is the only one who can treat this occupying presence by going to the physician who has the medication. And then he can give me the medication, but he expects me to take it every day. So if your doctor gives you your chemotherapy pills and you don't take them, he gave you the medication, friends. You have to take it. It's still the medication is greater than the cancer. Now, it might eradicate the cancer, but it probably won't, because everyone knows that when people go into remission, there's bits of the cancer still in there in everyone. In fact, we all have bits of cancer in us right now, and our immune system holds it down. Our immune system is like the Holy Spirit in us, keeps the cancer down. Less Holy Spirit, more cancer. 
Less time with God, more cancer. Less Holy Spirit, more sin. Less time with God, more sin. The medication is this. Go to church, become a Christian, dedicate your children, eventually you baptize them, read your Bible, get some prayer, get involved, because you can't treat on myself by yourself. You need the whole body of Christ with you. It's not going to work with you and your Bible in the corner of your living room having a nice spiritual time. This is a battle that can only occur and be won with other people. So we band together and we're going to win this war on, on cancer. Cancer researchers have to work together. Christians have to work together to overcome the sin nature. And you will. You will bring it down to remission level. And it is possible, yes, at the end of your life to have done so much work that it almost looks like it's eradicated because I've met really godly older people. But I've never met a godly 35-year-old who's as godly as a godly 80-year-old or a godly 50-year-old who's as godly as a godly 85-year-old. But I've met godly 35- and 50-year-olds who thought they were as godly as the godly 80-year-old. And they always speak in spiritual tones <laughs> and want to be perceived as spiritual. And I'm like, you know what? I can tell by your voice you're lying. <laughs> so I would like something genuine and authentic. So, you know, don't give me this nonsense that you know the Bible so well and therefore you know, you're not sinning. I know lots of people have the Bible memorized and their entire life had major sin issues they didn't disclose and they were, just, they were found out after they died. So, this is a horrifying thing about the internet. You know what, no matter who you are, now, anything that you did that was wrong, people can post on Wikipedia. And they will. Yeah. The worst thing you can say to someone is, I googled your name. <laughs> there are like 200,000 Google hits on my name. No, 20,000. I'm serious. 20,000 things have been written about me. About 10,000 are true. And, um, and about 5,000 are good. <laughs> um, so, um, so it is no longer I who do I myself would do this, but it's sin living in me. It's this occupying presence. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. So he's not saying nothing good lives in I myself. Actually, he's saying a lot of good lives in I myself. I myself loves the law of God. I myself wants to do good. And that's what you need to live out of, friends. I am created in God's image. When God was done creating me, he said, it's very good. That's still alive in you. It's just being harassed by a sin nature. And you're, you've been occupied by a sin nature. I am. But it's still there in you. Oh, is she okay? Are he okay? Little person. Okay, he just wanted to be held by the daddy. Um, <clears throat> don't we all want to be held by the daddy sometimes? Yeah, amen. amen. So, he says, you know, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sin nature. So he qualifies it. So yes, it's in me. But you can't be the sin nature any more than you can be an American. You live in America, okay, that's fine. But you know what, ontologically, that means, you know, in who you are as a person, in your existence, you're a human being, full stop, made in the image of God, full stop. It doesn't matter what your color is, what your nation is, what your language is, you are a human being made in the image of God. You know what the color of God is? Water. God is the color of water. That's why we're baptized. God has no color. God has no nation other than the kingdom of God. Even the church. You know, the church is going to end one day. It doesn't matter whether you went to the Vineyard, the Anglican Church, the Pentecostal Church, Lutheran Church. That's all going to be over with. No pastors, no communion in heaven, no preaching of the Bible in heaven, no conversions, no mission trips, 
No taking communion till he comes back because he's back. The church is over at the end of time and all we have is the kingdom of God. But we have the kingdom of God here and all the genuine churches are little embassies of the kingdom of God. That's, that's all that we are. No one church can say they are the Christian church. Well, no one church should say that. But just a bunch of churches say that. So, and that's the sin nature. And the leaders who want to say, we got it right and you didn't. Haha, we're in and you're really not. The Catholics say that about the Pentecostals. The Pentecostals say that about the Catholics. The Lutherans say that about the Catholics and the Pentecostals. <laughs> yeah. Can anyone please read history at this point and say something's really wrong there? Uh, so, I have the desire to do what is good. All right, friends. Can you read that, please? Say, repeat it, okay? I have the desire to do what is good. Say it. I have the desire to do what is good. That's the I myself. Now, the devil's going to say, you don't have sin. You are sin. The devil's going to accuse you. And when you want to go towards something sinful, you're going to start thinking, this is who I am. And God says, no. This is what you're doing. And this is your condition. But it's not who you are. You are I myself. You have the desire to do what is good. That's how I created you. And if you can get that right, you'll follow the Lord the rest of your life. Now, you can sin every day and do the grossest thing every day and ask forgiveness every day for the grossest sin you've done every day and God will forgive you. But I myself in you is going to get tired of that because you really do desire what is good and eventually you're just going to find a way to not do that thing every day. So maybe you'll do it every other day for a while. Maybe you'll do it once a week. Then maybe you'll go down to once a month. And that could go on for a bunch of years. Then maybe it'll go down to once a year. What if it's a sexual sin? Maybe it goes down to once a month and then you get diabetes and if you're a guy it means something down there is never going to work again even with vitamin V. <laughs> you know what that means? Your struggle is over because you don't have the equipment to be naughty anymore. And a lot of people who've had that struggle when they get type 2 diabetes and the vitamin V doesn't work are like, I'm so relieved. It's over. Isn't that funny? I never wanted to do this anyway. It had a hold of me. It got better, but I didn't get free. Now, I'm in a ministry that tells people, actually, not only can you get better, you can get free. But sometimes it takes people a long time to realize they can get free. And that's all right. We have a long time with them. We have their entire life. If they're in the body of Christ with us, And then, I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. No, you can't. You need some help. I'll help you. John will help you. The people at this church will help you. God will help you. The people in your home group will help you. Will you let us help you? No, you can't carry it out. You can't do it. It's not going to happen. For what I do is not the good I want to do. See, you want to do good. No, the evil... I do, not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it. So if you've had a sin struggle and you've continued with that sin struggle, the internet porn thing and all that, and you're shameful about it, that's the devil shaming you. You're sick of that struggle and you feel bad that you keep going back to that. God knows that. And you know what he's saying? I know you don't want to do that. 
I'm with you. I know you don't want to do that. It's not you doing it anyway. See, it says it right here. Look at it, friends. Verse 20. It is no longer I who do it. It's sin living in you doing it. It's this occupying presence. It's the spiritual cancer. Just like when you don't treat your cancer, guess what happens? You lose weight, you throw up, you start to die. All sorts of things happen to you. But it's not you doing it to you. It's the cancer doing it to you. If it eats at your brain, you start arguing with your family. You start forgetting their names. You might even attack them because your brain is disintegrated into a, a type of uh, psychotic aggressivity. It's not you who's doing it. You're not morally responsible. It's the cancer. See, but here, we are morally responsible because we can say to the cancer, we can say to the sin nature, I've been told how to deal with you. That's where responsibility comes in. I myself says to the occupying presence of sin, I know how to deal with you. You are in here, and I will deal with you. First of all, there's no condemnation for me in Christ. So devil, you just shut up, because I don't need to hear anyone telling me how bad I feel about this already. I do anyway. So when you get rid of that shame, you can start dealing with it and the condemnation. 21. So I find this law at work. When I want to do the good, here he is. How many times can Paul, St. Paul keep telling you, you want to do the good? You want to do the good. He says it five times. You want to do the good. You, you, you want to do the good. You back there in the beard, you want to do the good. Okay? You over there in the red shirt, you want to do the good. You want to do the good. But there's something right next to you that is drawing you away from that good. It's a sin nature. So when I want to do the good, evil is right there with me. Aha! Not within me. Evil is there. Saying, go for it. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Close your eyes, everyone. Put your hand right on your middle. Now imagine underneath your hand is a fire burning, and that's like the hearth of your soul, and your whole body and soul are one. In your inner being there, in the middle of I myself, what's at your center is the desire to do what is good and you actually love God's law. You love those Ten Commandments. You love that they order your life. You really do. I delight in God's law in, your, in my inner being. Okay, so repeat that after me. I delight in God's law in my inner being. All right. But I see another law at work in the members of my body. Now here he says something really important, friends. It's your body. The body is a big pain in the body. All over the body. What gets you in trouble are the senses of your body. Your eyes for coveting, your mouth for tasting, your, your nose for smelling, your ears for, heal, for, for hearing, your skin for touching, the five senses, and attached to those are appetites and passions. And with human sexuality, the whole body is engaged. You see the person, you smell them, you want to taste them, you want to touch them, you want to hear their voice. It's not just human sexuality, it's all sorts of other things. But St. Paul is saying this, my body is fallen, 
And that's what gets me into trouble most of the time are the sins of my body. So people with diabetes, they look at that piece of cake and they say, I shouldn't eat that. I'm not going to eat that. And then they eat that. Because the men, we may know we're not supposed to eat it, but then we have this game we play where we say, okay, I know I'm not supposed to eat that, but I'm still going to override my conscience and eat that. Because the appetite and the bodily desire for it is so strong, it's taking me over. Unless, of course, I'm living from my inner being that delights in God's law, and I'm reminding myself that I myself wants to do is the good, and I realize I need some help to do the good, so I get the help. So, you know, for the food thing, go to Weight Watchers. They'll help you. It works great. For the alcohol thing, go to AA. It works really good. Internet porn, try Sexaholics Anonymous. It'll help you. If you need something more complex, go to Living Waters Group or Redeemed Lives. They'll really help you. Do you really want the help? This is where the I myself, my inner being, is able to say, I'm going to get the help. So St. Paul is not saying here, you know, you are a sin nature couch potato, that you just have this poor you and you're stuck in this fight. And he goes on to say, but I see another law at work in my members, my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. So sin is this occupying presence that's working on my body. It's working on you. Your sin nature is working you over. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? The question is, and the answer is, Jesus. He will. I guarantee you. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law. But in the sinful nature, there's a bondage to sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. And what he's saying is this. If you get yourself into the presence where the Holy Spirit can download into you on a regular basis, the Holy Spirit is a law that is greater than the law of sin, and the Holy Spirit will empower you to incrementally say no. And as you say no once, you'll say no a second time. Even if you slip back, you can pick right up and say no a third time. You don't have to start counting over. So every time you say no, you're building up this capacity in I myself to delight in God's law and obey and to say no to your sin nature. And as you do that, it gets smaller and smaller. It gets into a nice little prison. And every day you make sure the lock is on and it's right in there. And you make sure that it's shrinking in there while the I myself who delight in God's law grows. That's the Christian journey. And every now and then you get an overdose of the Holy Ghost and then you're out in the spirit and when you wake up you're like, wow, I'm empowered. And you can suddenly obey God for weeks and months at a time until something happens and then you're like, wow. You know what? You need another overdose of the Holy Ghost. Why don't you get a regular feeding of the Holy Spirit? Why don't you just come to church, go to your home group, you know, get a Christian life going. It's the only way forward. Get a prayer partner. I have a prayer partner every Thursday morning at 6.30 a.m. I confess my sins. He confesses his sins. We proclaim forgiveness to each other. If I slip into pornography, which I occasionally do, I ask for forgiveness. Yeah. And I move on. If I had an argument with my wife and we didn't talk it through, I ask for forgiveness from God. But guess what? I have to go home and talk it through with my wife. Just like I have to give the car back if I stole it. So then that, that keeps me going forward. That's the only way. It's pretty simple. Give your life to Jesus, what these people did here today, and 
saying to this, we're going to raise this child in the faith, that child one day will make a, a personal decision for Jesus. But right now, they have, they're at a great advantage. They're being raised in the kingdom of God. Then they have to decide to stay in. And once they decide to stay in, then they have this going on inside. So let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray everyone here will know that first and foremost, the I myself in them, the inner being, delights in God's law and wants to do what is good. That's who they are. That's how you design them. That's why they're made in your image. And I pray they will forever treat their sin nature as an occupying presence, like a cancer within them, that needs to be treated and brought into remission if possible, but if not, it needs to shrink and it needs to be treated with high dosages of the Holy Spirit, fellowship, Bible reading, walking forward in Christ to keep the cancer cells of the sin nature small and under control. And then the I myself will grow. Then maybe at the end of their life it'll look like the cancer is in remission. But the greatest Christian always knows it's right there. And it could eke out at any moment that I stop following the Lord. So empower each person here now, Lord, in the I myself. Show them by your Holy Spirit. There's no condemnation. They have the Holy Spirit. They're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And because of that, they can look at their sin nature in the eye and say, you don't belong in me. And one day, when I get to heaven, you're going to be totally evicted from my being. But until then, I'm going to deal with you as an occupying presence. And you are not who I am. You are something I have. And I will deal with you. And so will Jesus. So will all the people who love me. So bless each man and woman here with the power to follow you, Lord, and to just stay in the presence of the Holy Spirit and seek out the overdose of the Holy Ghost. Amen.